welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Well, welcome everybody. My name is Sheila Balfort, and uh, it's my pleasure to be able to uh, share God's word with you this morning. Um, that was a really special song for me, actually, uh, because that was a song that God used a couple of years ago to open my eyes to the fact that I actually have a voice. I have something to say, and God wants to speak through me. So uh, here I am this morning as part of that. So that's kind of cool. Uh, so my name again is Sheila Balford, and I am a discipleship counselor at Crossways to Life. And I was invited to share this message with you this morning, and I'm very excited to be here. When Pastor Ross first asked me if I wanted to speak, it was after a Saturday lecture that we had taught at Crossways. We were chatting about the day and debriefing about uh, the, how it had gone and chatting. And he very casually said, hey, would you ever want to preach at New Life? And I think I answered yes three ways, three different times. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I could do that. And my initial thought was that it would be someday, sometime, far, far away. Um, and he said, great, because we're looking for somebody for next month. <laughs> so the conversation moved on and I left, but as I was, uh, and I was driving home and as I was thinking about it more, all of a sudden I was like, wait, what just happened here? <laughs> Well, I think you know what happened, uh, because here I am today, preaching, and I'm super excited to be here again uh, and to share what God has placed on my heart for you this morning. So this morning, I actually want to talk about faith. Um, it's, as I was preparing for what I would say, I asked God, you know, what, what do you want to say if I were to say yes to speaking? And he said, uh, talk about faith. And so um, I, I began by writing down an, an outline, and it came to together fairly quickly. Faith. Seems pretty simple, right? But the more I began to explore the topic and, and what to share, I realized just how important and how broad the subject is. Faith is so foundational to the Christian faith. It's how we are saved. It's also how we experience a relationship with God. We know that we are saved by grace through faith and that faith without works is dead. So today we're just going to barely scratch the surface on the topic, but I'm trusting that Father will have something for us. So I'm going to pray, and then we will dive in. Father, I just thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity to be up here and to, to speak to my, my church family. And I just pray that uh, you will have something uh, special for each one. And I'm excited that I get to exercise my faith in you as I, as I trust you to be up here with me. So thank you for that. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing what you want to do this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So let's start by defining our terms. What is faith? To have faith means that we have complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Everyone has faith in something. Muslims have faith in Allah. The Hindus have faith in many deities. Even atheists have faith that there is no God. As Christians, we have put our faith in Jesus. In all of these scenarios, one has put their trust or confidence in someone or something. Faith is the activating ingredient for living the Christian life. 
It starts with a one-time act of placing our faith in Jesus for salvation, but it also has ongoing consequences in our lives because we are told to live by faith and not by sight. And that it's through faith that we can experience the life of Jesus. So let's look at the book of Hebrews and see what else we can learn about faith. And if you brought your Bibles this morning, um, you can pull them out. Or you can, um, if you've got an app on your phone, you can do that as well. We're going to start off by looking at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. All right. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So number one, faith is the response to the message. It's our response to the message. It's the substance and evidence that we believe that God is who he says that he is. So these are the things that we can't see. Can't see God, but we believe that he is who he is. And that he will do what he says he will do. These are the things that we hope for. So at some point in your Christian walk, you would have had to make a choice to put your trust in Jesus. You trusted that Jesus is God and that he died for your sins so that you could be reconciled to him. It takes faith to believe that because it's not something that we can see or fully understand. And if you haven't done that yet, then today could be your day. All it takes is an open heart to receive that precious gift that he's offering us. For some of us, we know when it happened, maybe even the exact date and time, but others, it might not be as obvious. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home and were saved at a very early age. Either way, at some point, you would have gone from not being saved to being saved. So that was a moment in time when you were saved. Now, was it your faith that saved you? No, it was by grace through faith. Your faith was the action that allowed you to receive and experience your salvation in Christ. Just like Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For for by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. So faith is an ongoing trusting in and holding on to. It's not just a one-time event, but a receptive attitude to the life of Jesus inside of us to live our lives. Faith is the activating ingredient that allows us to experience a relationship with Jesus and the abundant life that he came to give us. So Jesus came to give us life, just like John 10.10 says. And not only that, but he said that it would be an abundant life. Does that mean that if we trust Jesus that all our problems will go away? No. And that our bank account will be full and that we will never experience hardship or suffering? No, not at all. It means that no matter what trials we face or struggles, we have Jesus. We have his life and grace. It means that when I feel unloved in my marriage, I'm still loved. It means that when I'm feeling at my limit as a parent, I've got patience. It means that when I don't know how to face a problem at work, I have wisdom and discernment. I don't have to go it alone, and it's not up to me to produce the good results in my life. All I need to do is trust Jesus to be my source. And as I do that, I'm trusting that he will provide. So how do I experience the the discernment and patience that I so desperately need? It's by faith. As believers, we are called to exercise our faith like a muscle. The more we use it, the stronger it gets. The more we trust God, the more we will experience his life. Every one of you seated here today 
has exercised your faith this morning because you are all seated in chairs. When you arrived at your chair this morning, how many of you investigated the chair? Did you give it a little wiggle to make sure it wouldn't collapse when you sat down? Did you very slowly lower yourself down as you sat, tentative of its ability to hold you and breathe a sigh of relief when it worked? Likely not. You came in, found your spot, and took a seat and didn't think much more about it. You had faith that your chair would hold you up, and so you sat down, and that was the end of it. So here's the difference between belief and faith. I could tell you I believe that that chair will hold me up. I could read off the specs of the chair to prove it's strong enough to hold me and tell you all the times that I've sat in chairs before. But until I actually go over and sit down in the chair, I haven't actually put my faith in it. Our faith in God is the same. We believe God is our source of strength, patience, discernment, and whatever we need. But until we actually take a step and choose to trust Jesus, we aren't going to experience the abundant life that he's offering us. So what does faith look like in the life of a believer? Let's look at another passage from Hebrews. This is going to be in Hebrews chapter 4. In Hebrews chapter 4, we read about entering into rest. And that rest really means that we get to stop striving to do life on our own terms. I don't need to do anything in order to be something. I already am something because of Jesus. It also means that because Christ is in me, then I can trust his life inside of me to work through me. So let's look at our passage. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. First off, we see here that Jesus is our high priest. And he's up in heaven, and he's interceding on our behalf. And we read also that Jesus was tempted in every way. He can sympathize with us, yet he was without sin. So that means that Jesus understands what we are going through. Is there a sin that I may be wrestling with? He gets it. He's been there. Is there some temptation or belief that I'm holding on to? Is there something I need to surrender? He's been there too. He surrendered everything to God and lived in complete dependence upon his Father. He understands, and he has an invitation for us. As Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's our invitation. Jesus is inviting us to come and to rest in him. And it goes on to say in verse 16 that we are invited to draw near with confidence. That is much different from the Old Covenant. We don't need to make sacrifices in order to cleanse ourselves before we can enter into God's presence. We know that because of Jesus, we aren't under the Old Covenant anymore. There is a new covenant of grace. This new covenant means that we have been united with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. It means that we have a new identity in Christ, and that has some amazing implications in the way we live our life today. So not only is Jesus up in heaven, but he's also inside of us. And Ephesians 3, verse 11 and 12, it says, This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he, which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. 
Again, here we see that we have access to God and can be bold and confident in going to him through faith. Not because of anything we have done, but because of who Jesus is and what he has done in us to make us righteous and accepted. Again, in Ephesians, we see Ephesians 2, verse 4 to 6. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So Jesus is up in heaven. He's inside of us. But also we are seated up with him in heaven. It's incredible. We can't, we can't fully understand that, and yet that's what God's word said is true. So not only do we have access to God, but we are seated with him in heavenly places. We are that close. As close as Jesus is to the Father, so are we. It's a relationship by faith with our heavenly Father, whereby I can know him, love him, and trust him as my very life. So what happens when we approach the throne? Is God a genie that is going to give us all our wants? No. There is a difference between what we want and what we need. When we go to him, we find that all of our needs are met in him. I want a million dollars, but I don't need it. But what do I really need? I need love. I need acceptance. I need security. I have emotional and physical needs, too, that God has continued to provide for. He has been very faithful to us. He might not give me a million dollars, but he has been faithful to provide for our family as we put our trust in him. Grace is a person, Jesus. And when we go to him, we get all that we need. He doesn't take away our struggles, but he promises to be with us in the midst of them. So back to our passage again, verse 16. We can go to him with confidence and receive mercy and grace. We will find his kindness and goodness. That's what his mercy means. And we will also receive grace. We have the grace that saves us and forgives us of our sins. But we have also have the grace for each moment. We have grace that will meet us in whatever struggle we are facing to give us peace and rest. No more striving. There was a song I heard as I was preparing for this morning called Rest in Peace. It does a great job of describing what it looks like to rest in Jesus by faith and to experience his life. It's called Rest in Peace by Seth Schluter, and I'm going to read a portion of it to you right now. When the worry is like a whirlwind, and I just keep spinning round and round, I feel like such a mess, and I'm craving something quiet. Is there a place that I can go to close my eyes and just forget that I'm not okay? Because I'm not okay. But even as I wait, I can hear you say, come and rest, come and rest, come and rest in peace. Take a breath, take a step, take it easy. Let the weight leave your chest, let it fall on me. Come and rest in peace. Notice that the person in this song is not okay. They feel like everything is spinning out of control. They feel like a mess. But in the midst of all that, there is rest and peace. I felt that peace this week. It was a strange peace, as Greg likes to call it, where I shouldn't feel restful or peaceful getting ready to be sharing in front of you all, but 
there was a strange peace that I felt as I was resting in him and trusting him. Jesus invites us to take a breath and to take a step as we trust him to lead us. So what are some obstacles that we might face in our faith? Number one, I struggle to trust God and his character. Who is God to you? Is he angry with you or disappointed? Maybe he's too busy for your problems. As a counselor, I have heard lots of different concepts of God that don't line up with scripture and who God says he is. For example, I need to stop sinning or God is going to send me to hell. Or God turns his back on me when I mess up. God doesn't hear me when I pray. My problems are too small or too big for God. If God was really loving and good, then he wouldn't let me suffer. God won't forgive me for what I've done. If God would just change my circumstances, then things would be better. Or this one is one that I believed for a long time. God loves me, but he doesn't really like me. He just kind of puts up with me. Where do these lies come from? It can come from a lot of different places. Maybe your church tradition growing up family traditions or values that get passed down, often these beliefs are formed subconsciously through comparing God to other important relationships in our lives. I met with one client who was struggling with her intimacy with God. She wanted to trust him, but she just couldn't get past the fear that he was going to disappoint her. So we began talking about her beliefs, about who God is and what his character is like. And then all of a sudden, the light bulb went on in her head. And I would say, and I definitely know that that was God because I was nowhere near where this, God just like showed up and said, and revealed this to her. And she said, hey, this sounds just like my earthly father. And we began to see how many of the characteristics she was believing about God lined up with her experience that had been like her earthly father. Once she was able to make the connections, she began, to pro- she began the process of rejecting what she was believing about God and to learn to put her trust in him. It is a journey, though. It's a process. It's not a snap your fingers and it's done. Maybe that's true for you also. Whatever you believe about God is going to impact our relationship with him. Have you allowed your relationships with your parents or other significant relationships in your life to influence your perception of who God is? Number two, it doesn't feel true. Maybe I feel worthless or it's true about other people but not me. Too often we allow our feeling, what our feelings are telling us to determine what is true about ourselves. So if I don't feel loved, then therefore I must not be loved. Or if I don't feel like God is with me, therefore he isn't there. Whatever we believe about ourselves is going to impact our relationship with God. How easily will I be able to approach God if I believe I don't deserve his love or that he doesn't love me? Really, this comes down to the voice of shame in our lives. That's the little whisper inside of us that says, there's just something wrong with me. God's grace is fine for everyone else, but not for me. I don't deserve it. I have met with countless women who struggle to believe that they are who God says they are. And I don't think that's just for women. I think it's for men also. One woman in particular stands out to me. I met with her a few years ago. We all have things from our past that will try and define us. For this woman, it was because she had a lot of trauma and abuse in her background. This pain and rejection she experienced told her that she was unloved and worthless. 
because she believed she was worthless, guess how she felt? Worthless. Shame. Not good enough. Alone. She felt like a failure. She believed she had nothing good to offer her children and that she deserved the rejection that she was currently experiencing from her husband. As we went through the counseling process, God was opening her eyes to her new identity in him. And I was amazed to see the change in her life as she began trusting that she was who God said she was. As she forgave the people from her past who had hurt her and abused her, she was able to see how she had believed the lies from the enemy about her worth and how she had allowed her abusers to define her. As she forgave them, she was able to leave her old identity at the cross and receive her new identity in Christ, a fully loved and accepted daughter of the king. Maybe you think you need to work harder in order for God to be happy with you. You do all the right things in order to make your faith stronger. For many of us, we have lived our whole lives striving and working in order to make something of ourselves or to earn our worth and value. We are under a system of performance that says you are what you do. If I'm not experiencing the abundant life, then I just need to increase my faith. If I'm not feeling enough peace, then I just need to read my Bible more. I just need to have more self-control in order to get up early in the morning for a quiet time with God. If things aren't going well in my marriage, I just need to pray more. Essentially, what I'm believing is that I'm saved by grace, but now all of a sudden I need to work and strive in order to produce the fruit in my life. I have essentially put myself back under law again, when Paul is very clear in Romans 6.14 that we are no longer under law, but under grace. The moment I'm trying to produce the fruit in my life, I'm no longer trusting God for it, and I'm missing out on experiencing the life of Jesus inside of me. I've heard it described this way before. The Christian life isn't a self-improvement program. It's an exchange program. God isn't interested in me learning to do better in my own strength in the flesh. He's looking for me to trust him by faith for everything that I need. He wants, essentially wants me to trade in my flesh for his life. He wants me to exchange my strength for his, his and live by faith in who he is and what he has promised us. Thirdly, what if I get it wrong? I'm scared to give up control. Is there a decision that you're holding off on making? Something you're afraid to try because you are worried you might make a mistake or mess it up? Sometimes this can paralyze us and prevent us from stepping out in faith. Maybe we are scared to trust God and give up control over a certain area in our lives. God might be inviting us to surrender to him, which is scary because we don't know what he might do. I have an illustration from my own life. Some of you who know me know that I used to work as an accountant. I started working towards earning my CPA designation in 2012, and for about six years, that was the track I was on. For the most part, I felt comfortable in my role as a staff accountant. It was predictable, and I knew how to do my job well. It was something I could control. However, in 2018, I was growing increasingly restless in my job. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being an accountant. Uh, it was a really great job, and I got to work with a lot of really wonderful people while I was there. But for me, it was the safe option. You see, I had previously gone to university and studied family and social relations because I had a desire to become an, a counselor. But I got scared. Counseling wasn't something that I can control. And now, is there anybody here who likes to be in control? <laughs> 
What if I got it above my head and I couldn't help my clients? What if I failed? But God. What if God is more interested in you trusting him than whether you get it right? I'm going to say that again. What if God is more interested in you trusting him than whether you get it right? God isn't concerned with whether I fail or not. He's just happy that I'm trusting him. The beautiful thing about trusting him is that I can leave the outcome to him. I had to surrender my right to control and my fear of failure to him. As I place my faith in Jesus, I am able to allow his life to flow through me. I get to walk with him as he accomplishes his purposes in my life, and I wouldn't have it any other way. This applies to my work as a counselor, but it really applies to every area of my life, as a wife, as a mom, and a friend. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And I get to live by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself up for me. Just like Galatians 2.20 says. All right, so those are the three obstacles that we might face in, in our faith. And now let's talk about what are some, um, how do we overcome these obstacles? Number one, we want to know who God is. As we saw earlier, God is who he says he is, and God will do what he said he will do. He is trustworthy. If you are struggling with your concept of God, I would invite you to talk to Jesus about that. Get into his word and read about who he is, his character, and his love for you. I had a moment, moment of panic one night as I was going to sleep. All of a sudden, I started to question God's love for me. What if he's not really loving? What if all these great teachers I've been learning from are actually wrong? But then God started to recall certain verses from his word, and I chose to trust them. Verses like Isaiah 54, verse 10. It says, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. 1 John 4.16 says, We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So I'm in God, God is in me. And God is love. That's just, that blows my mind. God, God isn't just loving. He is love. That's his character. That's who he is. If God was only loving, then maybe we would think he could run out of love. But he is love. So it's infinite. And I, I love to reflect on the, the truth that, you know, I think we're going to spend an eternity getting to know that love and getting to know him more and more. And, and we'll never come to the end of it because that's who he is, and he's infinite. It's beautiful. We can look at John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Or Romans 8, verse 37 to 39. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That includes us. We are part of his creation, and we cannot separate ourselves from his love. It's impossible. As I rested in these verses and trusted them by faith, my anxiety started to lessen, and I was able to get to sleep. 
Number two, so first we want to know who God is. Number two, we want to know who we are. And, and uh, we heard Pastor Ross talk about this a few weeks ago, where he gave us 20 truths about our identity in Christ. And I'm going to run through a few, a few of them again, because I think it's really important for us to know them. Um, number one, we are the righteousness of God in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So you are fully righteous. You are also fully loved and accepted. As Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. You are a new creation. This is one of my personal favorites. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. None of us have it all figured out, and we all stumble and fall. As I was reflecting on my new identity in Christ one day, a question came to me. What difference would it make if I trusted the truth of my identity in Christ? The reality is that it changes the way we live. I want to share a poem with you that I wrote. It's about how I have wrestled with the truth of my identity in Christ and how I am slowly learning to trust and rest in my identity in him. It's not a quick process, but I believe something that will be a lifetime of me growing and receiving the truth as I grow closer to God and am strengthened in my intimacy with him. I've known rejection and I've known shame. Come to the end of myself, filled with hurt and disdain. What if I trusted your love? What if I trusted it's true? Saying I'm righteous, saying I'm new, is something that I could never get used to. Look at my failures, the list doesn't end. I try harder and harder, wear a mask and pretend. What if I trusted your love? What if I trusted it's true? Saying I'm righteous, saying I'm new, is something that I could never get used to. I'm never more loved, never more secure. Doesn't matter how I feel, this truth will endure. So what if I trusted your love? What if I trusted it's true? Saying I'm righteous, saying I'm new. So what if I trusted your love? What if I trusted it's true? I'm trusting your love, I'm trusting it's true. You saying I'm righteous, you saying I'm new, is truth step by step that I'm getting used to. Thirdly, so we, we want to know who God is, we want to know who we are, and then we want to trust him anyways, even if we don't feel it's true. And uh, that song, uh, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, I just love that song because it's so simple and so profound in that um, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And so we're not basing it on a feeling or because we were there and we saw Jesus. Jesus being crucified, but simply because the Bible tells us it's true and we're going to believe it by faith and choose to trust that. I want to talk about our feelings because emotions are, are good, I'm told. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the time. To be honest, there are times when I wish we could get rid of them altogether, but they are a gift for us, I'm told. Uh, one thing about our emotions that we need to remember is that they are very real and they are important, but they are not able to tell us what's true. So just because I feel something doesn't make it true. 
Let me give you an illustration. So my family and I have recently started going rock climbing together. It's a great sport that we all enjoy. So that's a win for us. Uh, typically, uh, I don't know how much you know about rock climbing, but I don't know very much, but I'll try to explain it a little bit for you. Uh, when you go rock climbing, normally you go with two people and you have one person who's wearing the harness and they clip into the rope and then there's, and the rope is attached to the wall and there's somebody else on the other end of the rope that is doing the belaying. And so as you climb, the person manning the rope kind of pulls it up with you as you go so that if you fall or let go of the wall, they slowly will lower you back down to the ground so that you don't fall and break any bones or die. So, <laughs> so when you go, we, went, we go, like to go to Grand River Rocks. And when, when you climb up, they have these things called, called auto belay. So if you don't have somebody that's there able to, that knows how to man the ropes for you, you can still climb up the wall and not fall and die. So... The first time I went, I uh, put on my harness, I clipped into this auto belay, and uh, basically the best way to describe it is kind of like this giant seat belt. And so you, you clip into the belt, you clip into the, this, uh, the rope, and, and you start climbing, and then if, and it, it, the, it goes up and pulls, it doesn't pull you up, but anyways, as you, as you climb, it goes up with you, and then if you fall or, or let go, then it will slowly lower you back down. So the first time I went, I, I climb up and I'm having a great time. This is fun and good exercise and I'm feeling good. And I'm not even really looking around. Um, and I get to the top and I'm very proud of myself. And I slap the top and I'm like, all right, I did it. And then I had to get down. And uh, so I look around. I'm kind of holding on to the wall, looking around. And then I look down and that was a mistake. <laughs> Because I hadn't looked down the entire time that I was climbing up. And then all of a sudden, I, have, I realized how high I was. So that was fun. So I realized that I have three options. One, I can hang on to the wall indefinitely and just stay there. Uh, number two, I could climb back down uh, so that I don't have to use the auto belay. Or number three, I can actually jump off the wall and let the belay lower me back down. Uh, number one and number two are not going to work because I am tired. I've used all my muscles. And so I decide, okay, well, it's going to have to be number three. So I take a deep breath. I grip the rope for dear life as if that's going to save me, right? And let go. And here I am to tell the tale. <laughs> I survived. And do you know what I did? I went right back up and started climbing again. Before I knew it, I was jumping off the wall without hesitation. The more I climbed, the more confidence I had in the auto belay, the easier it was for me to trust the auto belay would bring me safely to the ground each time. So here's the question. Was I more safe on the 30th jump than the first one? When I, the 30th jump, when I felt so confident in the belay, was I more safe than the first time when I jumped off that wall and felt like I was going to die? No. I was completely safe regardless of how I felt. So here's how this relates to our faith. Number one, it doesn't matter how it looks or how I feel. I am still safe. Number two, if I'm not willing to take a risk, then I'm going to miss out on the life of Jesus that he's offering. I think this is why we are told to have faith like children. From the very first jump, my kids were like Spider-Man doing fancy tricks as they rode back down to the ground. They didn't question it. They simply trusted that the rope would do what it promised. 
It wasn't until I jumped that I was able to experience the excitement of the audible a catching me and lowering me to the ground. In the same way, it's not until I jump and allow Jesus to catch me that I will be able to experience his abundant life and provision. Number three, the more I trust him, the more confident I become in his life and security, and the easier it is to trust him the next time he's inviting me to jump. Again, it's like that muscle that if we exercise it, it's going to get stronger. It comes down to trust. Are you going to trust in who God says you are or who the flesh says you are? It's about giving God your yes and doing the next step with him, trusting him with the outcome. Just like Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7 says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. As we have received Jesus, which is by faith, right? Let's choose to walk in him by faith. As we do that, I have confidence that he is going to meet us where we are at, and it's going to be an exciting journey. I'm going to close in prayer. Thank you again, Father, for this, for this day. Thank you for the beautiful weather outside that we get to enjoy. And I thank you for the fact that because you live inside of us, your desire is to live through us, and that uh, the abundant life that you're offering is one that we can access by having our faith in you. So I pray that you'll help us to exercise that faith and show us ways that we can trust you more as we go about our day and week ahead. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, well, that's all I have for you this morning. And I forgot to ask what I'm supposed to do now, but I think that I can just dismiss you and tell you. (laughs) You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.